Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. In this episode, Pastor Andrew continues to unpack Paul's message around the getting of wisdom and how our focus on Jesus will lead us to this place. I want to touch on an obscure thought, and that is how do we link to something that we can't actually see? One of the challenges that Elisha had in his walk with Elijah in our Old Testament reading was Elisha wanted Elijah's mantle, his prophetic mantle, which was probably just more than just simply a prophetic voice because Elijah is one of the most prolific miracle-working prophets in the Old Testament. And Elijah is about to be taken up into heaven and he's trying to sort Elisha out, who was his mentoree, before that happened and on a number of occasions suggested that he stay at Bethel or he stay here or he stay there or stay with the group of the prophets. And Elijah was having none of it. He says, wherever you're going, I'm coming there. And so finally, Elisha says, well, if you see me when I'm taken, then you'll have my mantle, you'll have my cloak of authority. And so, in the instance of time, in a minimal element of time, a chariot comes, picks Elijah up, and zoom, he's gone. And Elisha's job at this point is to see him as he's going. And you can imagine Elijah saying, I can see you. I can see you. Until he was so far gone that nobody could see him. And Elijah was almost asking Elisha to see me when I'm no longer there. So when we come, as we've been working through in the last couple of weeks, the issue of wisdom and the movement from lady wisdom or woman wisdom of Proverbs to Jesus being our wisdom and Jesus and lady wisdom are not the same entity because as we recognised in Proverbs 8 wisdom was created it was created before everything else but wisdom herself notes I was created And yes, I was there when God did all the other creation bits, but wisdom was created. And Jesus, who is the son of the living God in human form, was not created. So they can't be the same entity. And so what I've suggested is that in the same way that God put the law on the cross with Jesus, because the law could not give us life. It could challenge us, it could condemn us, 
He could charge us. But he had no power to enable us to obey its requirements. And in the same way, wisdom lacked that same ability. She could cry in the streets. She could call. She could instruct. But she had no ability to actually enable us to accept her principles and put them into action. How do we know that? Because there's folly in Proverbs. The fool. And who is the fool? Or what is folly? Is not accepting and doing the principles of wisdom. So we have two entities in the Old Testament aimed at helping Israel be faithful to God, to follow him, and to live in righteousness. And both failed. So what we find occurring in the New Testament and in Paul's writing that the law is finished in Paul's eyes. Prior to his conversion, Paul upheld the law, defended the law, implemented the law, enforced the law. But when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, realized that the law had no power to give life. And that's what he argues in the letter to Galatians from which we have our reading this morning. So the law can't help us. And wisdom in its old form can't help us either. And Paul tells us in Colossians that there on the cross, not only did God put his son to carry our sins and the punishment for our sins, but he also put the law. It also says that there on the cross, he put to death the power of the demonic realm over our lives. So where and how do we get wisdom? In 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul tells us that God has made Jesus our wisdom. And the essential ingredient of that is not only can he instruct us in wisdom, he is our wisdom in the sense that he has the power to enable us to hear, to obey, and do wisdom. And at the same time, he has the power and ability to enable us to keep the elements of the law without actually doing the law. And it is this particular understanding that Paul comes to our reading from Galatians 5. You see, what is the practical way in which we basically live a righteous life and live in wisdom? Now last week we mentioned that there are two elements to Jesus being our wisdom. One is that firstly, God put us in Christ. 
But on Good Friday, we each come up and we recognize the cross in different ways. We recognize the cross because that's where Jesus died for us. The element that has been added is that when Jesus died on the cross, we were in him when he died. That's how he takes our sin and its punishment upon himself. And so when we look to the cross, we should see ourselves on the cross. And that there on the cross, God enabled us to die to sin and to live to righteousness. To move from disobedience to God to obedience to God. That's the gist of what Paul is trying to get across to us. And then the second element of 1 Corinthians 1.30, where Jesus become our wisdom, is Jesus in us. So it's not enough for us to be in Jesus. That's the first step. But Jesus has to be in us. Because if Jesus is not in us, we do not have the power to keep the elements of the law or to do wisdom. It is only through Jesus in us that we have that power. Now here comes the tricky bit. That a lot of that work is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We're born again of the Spirit and then we're baptized in the Spirit. We're called to walk in the Spirit, to attend to the issues of the Spirit and to bear the fruit of the Spirit. That in one sense, though we look to Jesus in the process, it's the Holy Spirit who does the work in us. Now our problem is, if we turn away from looking to Jesus as our righteousness, as our redemption, as our sanctification, we go back to the law. And once again, Paul wants us to note the law cannot give you life. And it cannot give you the ability to keep it. No matter how much you rely on it, no matter how many times you read it, no matter how many times you memorize it, no matter how many times you repeat, I must do this, I must do this, it cannot give you the power to actually do it. So Paul starts chapter 5 with these words. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus has set us free. You could take that, and a lot of Christians do. We realize that, yes, okay, I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but now I've got to be a good Christian. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, I need to keep the commands of Jesus. I need to obey the Sermon on the Mount. That gives a subtle impression 
that if we keep those things, we've got it right. As if we actually can keep those things in our own strength and ability. We actually can't. So we not only come to Christ in faith, but we live a righteous, God-orientated life through faith in Jesus Christ. We begin our relationship by faith and we continue right through our life implementing the purpose of God in our life by faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, God has given us freedom not to be a good Christian, Perhaps we ought to be a good Christian. He's given us freedom to be free. So what's the intention of that? Freedom that has obligation as its purpose is not freedom. And what God seriously wants from us is a free response to love him because we're in love with him. Not because if we don't, we're in trouble or that we might end up in hell if that's a reality. He wants us to love him because we've fallen in love with him. You see, that's why we have our focus in Jesus because we have our focus in a person, not a law, not some other thing, not a principle, but God's answer to our life is in the person of his son who became a human being in the person we know as Jesus Christ. So we look to Jesus, and that's the obscure bit of it. Some of us have, met, have had visions of Jesus, but not everybody gets that, and that's not a given. And yet we're to keep our focus in him into something that we can't actually see, but which I think Paul is really wanting to get across to us, that even though we cannot see him, our eyes are turned to him. Paul talks about looking into the face of Jesus Christ, that we are taken from one level to a higher level, in our Christian relationship and walk by staring into the face of Jesus Christ. Which is a bit difficult when you actually can't see him. And yet it seems that when the intention of your heart does that, there is an incredible deep connection with Jesus Christ. And the power of that connection is that it begins to grow in us a depth of righteousness that is not like the implementation of the law, but is the earthy type of righteousness that Jesus himself lived. And you know, he got that righteousness by looking to Father God. 
he was able to implement a different type of righteousness that was not exclusive, didn't avoid certain people which the law required. He's charged with mixing with the wrong people that technically, according to the law, made him unclean. How could he do that? Because the origins of his righteousness, the source of his righteousness, is quite different from the law. And the source of his righteousness, which was Father God and the Holy Spirit, empowered him to live a truly and absolutely without fault righteous life. So when Paul says to us, turn to Christ for our righteousness and for our wisdom, he's not asking us to do something that's impossible. It's strange to our minds and hearts, but when we begin to continue to look into the face of Jesus Christ, we change. And we change at the very depths of our being. So Paul says, Christ has set you free to be free. Do not submit again to the burden of slavery, which he means don't submit again to the law. Don't go there, because the law cannot save you. And so Paul in this chapter, begins to unpack again, as he's done in other places, the difference between walking according to the flesh and walking according to the Spirit. And so one of the things that occurs when we begin to look into the face of Jesus Christ is a struggle within ourselves between the demands of the flesh and the call of the Spirit. And the outworking of the flesh in our life is quite different to the outworking of the Spirit. And Paul outlines various elements of each of those in this chapter we've heard. We shouldn't be afraid of that struggle. We have to work through that struggle to realize that every time I turn my eyes to Jesus, my heart is telling me whether I've got it right or not. And often it'll say, you haven't got this thing right yet. Then how do I get it right? Turning to the Spirit allowing the Holy Spirit in us to overwhelm our hearts to such an extent that we want nothing to do with the flesh. And then at the end of this process, Paul brings us back to that cross. He says these things. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Right? You don't need a law to protect those things. They are entities in themselves that are beyond the law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So what's the key? That when I hit that struggle, I've turned my eyes to Jesus. I'm gazing into his face. And I'm doing this spiritually, not physically. I realize there's a struggle within me that is the flesh at work. And I turn back to the cross. I put myself back on the cross where I was placed when God put Jesus there. And then I die again there on the cross to the works and desires of the flesh within me. And then I turn to walk in the Spirit, to heed the call of the Holy Spirit, to begin to allow that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, which is work to make me a holy person, to come to its fullness. This is an ongoing process. And from time to time, as we gaze into the eyes of Jesus, we will sense a peace there, a sense of being right with God, a sense of being in the presence of God, living with God, and noticing a transformation in our life that has come out of that process. And if that's happening within us, the law cannot contain us anymore. The law itself has become irrelevant in our life. And it releases us to reach out to broken, hurt people whose lives are in a total mess. It helps us to reach out with them without any fear that they might contaminate us, which was the fear that the Pharisees had who were just so steeped in the law. And the law forbade them to mix with people who just might contaminate you and make you unclean. Whereas Jesus marched right into the middle of those groups of people went to their parties, ate with them, mixed with them. But he didn't become like them. And that's the key. That the depth of this righteousness developed through this process of looking into the face of Jesus Christ and allowing the Spirit of God to work in the depths of our being enables us to mix and share and love those people without it changing us in the process. 
So we retain a very deep and earthy righteousness in our mixing with those people and we're not aloof. We're not standoffish. We're not judgmental. And all of a sudden, they begin to realize how immense is the love of God for them. Broken, beaten, sinful, and sometimes really sinful men and women. That indeed there is a Redeemer in the person of Jesus Christ that can truly save their lives and transform them to the depths of their being. I always love the story that David Wilkerson from Teen Challenge in New York made in one of his books about a young woman who had been a heroin addict and came to Jesus. And her response after coming to Jesus and the prayers that went with that. She says, I feel so clean inside. And I've got Jesus as well. One is the dealing with unrighteousness and cleansing. The other is she has fallen in love with God. Through that freedom that Christ brings into our life, she has chosen to fall in love with God. To fall in love with the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what this is about. So let us pray. Father, we get carried away with trying to be good Christian men and women in a sense that somehow or other that might be pleasing to you. And yet we can't do it. And it's only through your son Jesus Christ that we can even become close to attaining such a transformation of our life. And so, Lord, we ask as we reach out to you through Jesus, as we gaze into his face, that you would take us to the next level that you would so transform our lives, so ingrain in us the earthy righteousness of Jesus, that our love for the broken and the hurt and the beaten will be so immense that we cannot avoid them. And we must mix with them. And we must bring them to you. Empower us by your Spirit to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.